So good to see you this morning. If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 24, and this concludes our Advent uh, series. And, um, you know, you may wonder, wait, wasn't Christmas yesterday? So why are we still doing Advent? You really are behind, really. You just can't catch up, can you? And uh, (laughs) it's true, I can't. Um, But if you look at the title, oh, sermon notes. Did everybody get sermon notes? Anybody need sermon notes? Over here, Tony, thank you. And, and uh, sweetheart, there's, yeah, there and over there. Yeah. Put your hands up high if you. Yeah, they're on sale today. Um, so you see with the, the notes, um, the title is Advent. Have you ever thought of it this way? A rehearsal for the second coming of Christ. I'd like you to ponder that, because that's where we're—that's what we're going to be reading about today—is uh, the second coming of Christ. In fact, Joshua led us in joy to the world. Um, did you know that that hymn was not written with Christmas in mind? Um, that hymn was written totally with the second coming in mind. And so, I would encourage you to even go back again and look through those lyrics and be thinking about what is happening in the second coming in those lyrics. I think it'll thrill your heart. I think it'll just thrill your heart. I hope your celebrations of Christ's birth were drenched in God's grace and love. And I want to express our special thanks to all of those who have done decorating for our church and just made this warmer and cozier and and just the hospitality factor that that brings. Uh, we've noticed your work, and we're so grateful for the work that you've done behind the scenes so that we could come into a, a pleasant place and fellowship together. So grateful for that. also want to express our thanks to the te- people who gave testimonies Wednesday night. If you weren't with us Wednesday, oh my goodness, I think there's a blessing in store for you. I think, I think it would be available. We did it by, by a private link on Wednesday just because of the testimonies. And really feeling that that was just really more for our church and it wasn't for the World Wide Web. Um, but you could get a link to the, to the service. You, your heart will be so blessed to hear what God is doing in the lives of people in our church and in us together corporately as a church family. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. So thank you for those of you who shared your testimonies. So in Matthew 24, let's ask the Lord to lift up our eyes really above the horizon of Christ's first coming, um, to see and anticipate and prepare for his second coming. Okay? So hear the word of the Lord, beginning in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Oh my. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. 
And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. No, not ever will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there will the vultures gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory and He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather in His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson as soon as, it, as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves you know summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. 
And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and will put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, Heavenly Father, um, please, would you, by your grace, help us to understand and apply your divine intent for this passage. God, we we confess from the very beginning, we're a sleepy people. And we've listened to the lullabies of this world in so many ways. Thank you for scriptures like this that wake us up, that lift our eyes, that stir our hearts to anticipate and prepare for your second coming. Would you fill us with the Spirit to understand what you're saying to us in the Word? Help us to hide it in our hearts. Equip us. Would you help us to grow in the character and the mission of Christ so that we would seek to get the gospel to every nation so that the end could come? We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, can we have a little honesty session? In some ways, isn't one of the blessings, you know, so here's the busyness of Christmas gift giving. Just, you know, that's just busy. Gift giving, and it's a lot of fun too, giving and receiving. The parties, the Christmas parties, that's really good. All of the activity of the season. But isn't one of the blessings of the busyness of the Christmas season the end of the Christmas season? Uh, you know, or listen, I, I don't mean to sound like Grinch or Scrooge here. Um, but there is something pretty nice about finishing up all of that and hopefully having a few days of downtime to rest and refresh. You know, I'm kind of feeling really alone here. Is anybody else? That we're... Thank you, babe. Well, we're one flesh, so you kind of have to say amen, I guess. But... Anyway, um, you know, it's funny, all of the expectations that we had wrapped up in Christmas, all of the preparation, all of the anticipation, 
gives way to blessed hibernation. I mean, isn't that just really, oh, that'd be so good just for a nap, you know, just to rest, and rest is so good. Not, not demeaning that in any way. But if, if we can experience this heightened sense of expectation and preparation that only really gives way to hibernation, and if we can do that in the physical sense, do you think we can do that spiritually too? Do you think we could do that spiritually too? Lots of anticipation. So, you know, we were reading Advent devotionals. We were doing all these things, wanting to make sure our focus is, is in the right place, on the right person. We didn't want to separate the manger from the cross. And so praise God for all of that. And then December 25th comes. And even spiritually, is there a sudden decrease in anticipation and expectation and preparation for December 26th? Isn't it cool that December 26th is Sunday today? Listen, it would have been so easy to phone this in. It would have been so easy to say, Christmas is on a Saturday and, that was, we'll get, and now church is Sunday? <laughs> You know, I know, you guys may be going, gosh, Pastor Billy, you're really bad. You're really a sinner thinking all of these things. I, I, I don't think that it's just me. This week I had the interesting experiences of talking to different people, talking about church and how churches were going to do things. And churches were actually, just plenty of churches, actually canceling service today. Or just encouraging you to stay home and watch live streams and It'd have been easy to phone it in. Except that Advent is supposed to point away from itself to what's next. And that's why December 26th, we ought to go, Lord, thank you that this year the gathering of the believer was on December 26th, the day after Christmas, because, because Advent was actually supposed to not exhaust us <laughs> to where we would need to hibernate. Advent was actually to gain momentum for us, to go into the world with the gospel, to have eyes lifted up toward the, the second coming of Jesus and the desire that all would know the good news of Jesus Christ. It was supposed to point beyond itself to his second coming and the work that we're to be doing in between the first advent and the second advent. Is, is that making more sense now? Am I kind of hopefully making that a little bit more of a sense? This is such a blessing that we get to gather the day after December 25th. And it's certainly important to have prepared our hearts to worshipfully recognize Christ as the long-promised Savior for our sins, coming into the world as the incarnate Son of God, taking upon Himself flesh so that He could fully enter into our sorrows as our comforter. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But even more, thank you so much for taking upon Yourself flesh to enter into the judgment that our sins deserved as our Savior. We're so grateful for those things. We have so much reason to joyfully celebrate the birth of Christ. And like I said, the inseparable link between the major and the cross. But Advent was never meant to just focus on December 25th. So, so parents, I hope in the, in the years ahead, you know, as you're raising your children, 
I hope that your Advent celebration would not just end on the 25th. I hope it would, I hope it would be a lens through which you're actually looking to the second coming and uh, the great commission that God has given us before we, before we see him come again. Uh, it's not just to prepare our hearts to be at their most worshipful and most evangelistic before December 21st. The anticipation, expectation, mission, prayer, preparation, patience, perseverance, all those things we exercise between December 1st and December 25th. Uh, now, don't we want to apply all of those things as we live for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel of the kingdom to every people group on earth. So the second longest sermon that Christ has, has recorded in the book of Matthew is about the second coming. So Matthew 1 and 2, great details about his first coming. But Matthew, it's actually, and it's not just even 24, it actually is 24 and 25, that, that this, this long sermon, this long teaching from Jesus is about how we should live today in light of that day. So here's just a little, just an introductory quote. I don't have many quotes this morning, but I think this is a good one. This is by Martin Luther. He says, really, you know what? I just have two days on my calendar. This day and that day. How would that affect you? <laughs> if really it kind of boiled down to that. This day is a day to be faithful. I have two days. This day and that day. And that day should be shaping this day, right? So... Our focus this morning is on the second advent or the second coming of Jesus when we'll see him face to face and he will make all things new. And here's the main point you see in your notes. We are called to a daily anticipation that Christ could return tomorrow and to a daily devotion to reach the world for Christ today. So I was hoping to try to capture a little bit of Luther's heartbeat there. Called to a daily anticipation that Christ could return tomorrow. Is that where your heart is today? And because of that, is there this daily devotion to reach the world for Christ today? So you saw a lot of this in, in throughout the whole text. But so the first point this morning is, so don't be deceived by false teachers. And you really see that throughout most of the, the passage, Matthew 24, 1 through 28. So let's, verses 1 through 3, let's try to put the sandals of the disciples on here, just to kind of really get a sense of, of what their, their hearts must have been feeling in this moment. Uh, because in verses 1 through 3, I want you to think about what, it, what, what they're hearing as Jesus is prophesying the destruction of the temple, Okay. The temple was one of the most beautiful buildings in the world at that time. But the destruction of a beautiful building was not what was concerning them, right? You know this. The temple represented to them what for generations had been the very heart of their religion. The temple was a physical sign of God's presence with his people and his, and, and his forgiveness of their sins on the basis of the blood shed by an animal sacrifice. So this was so significant. I mean, just, just say today, I, I don't even know how to illustrate this. If, if First Church of Midland, if there's just one church of Midland, 
And, and we believe that that was the only place that God met with his people. And, and the only hope we had to, to see some sense of remission and atonement of sins. And that place is obliterated. What would it do to your heart? It would freak you out a little bit, right? And so here are the disciples. They're just so new in all of this. And they're, that's, but I think that's what's going on inside of them. Wait a minute. So, so now... So now they're freaked a little bit, and then they're drawing conclusions. And being freaked out and drawing conclusions is not a great <laughs> recipe, right? I don't, none of us think really well in the freak-out mode. Um, so, so, but they, they come up with some pretty natural conclusions here. Um, it would be very natural for them, because of other Old Testament Scripture, and because of some other things that Jesus has said, for them to determine that the end of the temple must mean the end of the world. That the end of the temple means that God's final judgment will have come into the world. And, and that Christ will then immediately come and establish his kingdom. And finally, we get to reign with him. And now you kind of get another angle of the hearts of, of those, those first Jewish believers. You know, who were so oppressed. Rome was, I mean, just whether it was Rome's government or, or Judaism's hypocrisy. They were just so oppressed. And wouldn't it be great to be on the winning team now and then, right? I mean, <laughs> I love Fiddler on the Roof. If, if, on, my, if I, on my bucket list, don't tell anybody, well, don't tell anybody this, we're live streaming this. <laughs> if, if there was ever a, a little small production of Fiddler on the Roof, I would love to play Tevye. I would just love, I just love to play Tevye. You know, I just, I love so many of the things he said. I love, the, I love his heart as a dad and as a husband. There's just, if you've never seen Fiddler on the Roof, you ought to go take a peek at it. But remember one thing he says is, he's talking to God and he says, Lord, I know we're your chosen people, but couldn't you choose someone else for a change? <laughs> because... They're just beaten down. So, so be thinking about the heartbeat of these disciples. They've, they know what it is to be beaten down. They would love to be part of the winning team. And, but we, you know, so, and there's no other place. Now, what's, what's the deal? You know, Christ hasn't been crucified yet. So, you know, it's a, they're just in panic mode. And so they ask Jesus two distinct but related questions. They ask, when is this going to happen? Totally a great question. And understandable. And what are going to be the signs? What are going to be the signs? So what Jesus will tell them is that the destruction of the temple in 70, he's going to tell them about the destruction of the temple that will take place in 70 AD. But he's also going to differentiate between the destruction of the temple and the second coming of Christ. He's going to be saying, listen, don't think that means immediately the second coming of Christ. What we're going to see, you saw the phrase, he's really saying, that's just the beginning of birth pains between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. So don't think that the destruction of the temple is the end of the world. They're two different things. And so that's what he's going to unpack for us this morning. And he's going to talk about there being an extended time of waiting between Christ's first and second comings. It's not going to be snack, crackle, pop. And that's why he didn't want them to be deceived by misinterpreting the signs of the times. Verse 4 through 14, it really gives a lot of signs that are listed there. Um, 
I mean, verses 4 through 12, um, they, they're not to tell us that the, they're not signs that the second coming is near. They're signs that the temple is about to be destroyed. Uh, and all these things occurred in the lifetime of the disciples to whom Jesus was speaking. So when Jesus said, this generation won't pass away before this happens. So many people have seen this, just no, it's second coming, no, it's second coming, no, it's second coming. But how do you handle the generations? This generation won't pass away until this comes to pass, which is what? The destruction of the temple. So if you misunderstood the signs of those times, it would be very easy to be deceived by false teachers who are seeking to gain followers just to manipulate people's misunderstandings and accentuate our fears and, oh yeah, to increase their like list, their I am so not good at so, their likes on social media or whatever. You know, they're, they're, they're followers. That's what I guess what I'm trying to say. That they're all about, oh, we're, all, we're only in this for the ministry as they, keep, as they have their hand out and all the money's coming in. Only in it for the ministry. When verses 6 through 8 and 14, Jesus indicates that there's going to be a substantial period before his coming. He says in verse 6, the end is not yet. He says in verse 8, this is only the beginning. And in verse 14, it, 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 he's going to talk about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Well, look how long that's taking, right? Jesus clearly expected um, a substantial period of time to elapse before the end. The destruction of the temple was not the key sign. So in verse 6, he makes that clear. The destruction of, the, of Jerusalem and the temple he says, the end is not yet. In verse 9, he makes it clear that the full glory of the kingdom is not going to come when the temple is destroyed. So don't confuse gullibility with spirituality. I think, oh my goodness, I think that's a statement for the United States religious, religious Christian thing. So many people don't know the word. You guys, we have a job to do. It's not just the job of pastors, it's the job of parents, it's the it's, it's job of evangelism to put the, re, the, the, the contextualized word of God in front of people, letting God speak for himself, letting God communicate what his divine intent in scripture is. And it's just so easy to confuse gullibility with spirituality. Oh yeah, oh, so, so if I follow you, You'll, oh, you can, you can bring me to Jesus, but in, not in the way you're thinking, not in a saving way by grace through faith in his, in his redemptive work at the cross. It's to lure you down a road that you may never come back from. Don't be obsessed with the signs of the times. Don't panic over pain and persecution. It will all just make you more vulnerable to the false teachers. So 2022 is coming. You know what Matthew 24 is telling us? There's going to be big problems. Just like there was in 2021. That's what this is saying. There's going to be big problems. Don't get obsessed with the signs of time. Just because there's big problems doesn't mean... So listen, this thought came to me. I don't know how many of you felt the four earthquakes in one day in Midland, Texas. I mean, did you just think, what, are we in Los Angeles, San Francisco? Where are we here? You know, four earthquakes in one day. And I had the thought, 
Maybe Jesus is coming right now. Maybe he's coming tomorrow. How could there be four earthquakes in Midland if he's not coming tomorrow? So again, I, you know, I share these things. I hope you'll feel way more spiritual than your pastor. Um, you know, when I share those things, but it's just so easy to be more vulnerable to false teaching if you're obsessed with signs or you're scared to death. Man, that's just, that's fertile soil for false teachers. So isn't it great that God's given us his word uh, so that we don't have to be deceived? So verse 23 says, look, here's Christ. I love how the text says, don't believe it. Look, he's in the wilderness. Or look, he's in the other rooms. Don't go there. He's just very black and white. Why? Well, because verses 27 and 28 say, Christ's coming again will be unmistakable and visible wherever you are as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west. I mean, isn't that one thing about a West Texas thunderstorm, you guys? Because of our horizons, right? Because we can see a long way in the flat and barren land, right? We can see a long way. And, and certainly we get a lot of the... You know, does lightning go down and... Anyway, I'm sorry. So those of you who are scientists, please tell me about lightning. Um, but it's those lightning, those light... It's like fireworks. It's like Fourth of July, when the lightning is just going like this. Oh, it's amazing. And Jesus is saying, there will be no mistaking when I come. That you don't have to guess. It's going to be clear. And it's going to be clear worldwide. Wow, what a glory that will be if you know Jesus. What a glory that will be. Oh, Lord, come quickly. would love to see you come like that. He talks about, I don't know if you got weird like corpses and vultures and yeah, what is that about? And it's just, again, we ought to be familiar with that around here, right? Um, when you see vultures, what do you know? Oh, just really clear. It's not that, that a new Whataburger opened, you know, it's, uh, there's something dead there. It's clear. That's what the point is. You don't have to guess. You don't have to go following some strange teaching. Thinking that somehow if, just, if you'll know their little truths and their little society, you're going to be on the in, inside track of his coming again. Verses 29 through 31. Let me read that again. If you take, go to peek at that with me. Um, he, he, he continues to talk about how unmissable the second coming will be. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So don't be deceived by false teaching. Don't be obsessed with the signs of the times, thinking that they are the key to understanding the second coming of Jesus. They weren't the key then. They were, they were mainly aimed at the, the destruction of the temple. But they do give us a sense of the birth pains, don't they? that God is in control and that God is just keeping his word. 
four earthquakes in Midland, Texas. You know what we should really, how we should have thought that? Amen, Lord. You're faithful and true. You said things like this would happen because you are coming again. I'm not saying you're coming tomorrow. I know you're coming again. So here we go. So how does that day inform this day, right? I'm just now getting that. When did those four earthquakes happen? It has been two weeks or something? I am such a spiritual giant. Well, point two is this. Don't be discouraged by fearful times. So don't be deceived by false teachers, but don't be discouraged by fearful times. And you see that again, really, really through the panorama of this, of this passage. I was so affected. I was so affected by all the testimonies. Aaron, I was so affected by your testimony uh, in a unique way. And I think probably because of the study I'd been doing, um, I encourage you to go hear that. Aaron had said that the, the Lord's really shown her that she is to live a life of faith in him, knowing that there are problems in the world. There is sin in people so that she won't be shaken and surprised when they happen. I thought that was just, you know, it just, it just wisdom. It's just biblical wisdom that, that I'm not going to get thrown off course by the evil in men's hearts and women's hearts. I'm not going to be thrown off course by signs and wonders and all those things. I know there's going to be problems. There's going to be persecution. There are going to be hard times. We need to know it and prepare to endure it, not fear it, not fear it, and to not misinterpret that Christ is going to come the very next day because it's so bad. In panic and fear, if panic and fear are what mobilize us into sharing the gospel because we think we know Christ is coming tomorrow, that sort of evangelism is unsustainable. And I don't know, have any of you, again, this, I guess the advantage of being older. We used to watch, when I, when I was serving on staff uh, at a church in New Orleans, at our church in New Orleans, um, there was this, this end time series. What was it called, sweetheart? Left, left, not left behind. It was essentially, you, here's what it should have been called. Let's try to scare the dickens out of you to get you to follow Jesus. That's really what it, what, what it was like. So the night we went, so here's, so here's what's, so, so Jesse, don't watch those movies unless you want to go into labor right now. I guess that's what Jan is saying. There was this song, if any of you remember this, this <laughs> there was a song that said, and it was, the, it was like in the minor keys, and, and they'd be showing like evil government arresting all the people and beating everybody, and, and, it says, and, the, and the song would say, and you've been left behind. I'm looking at Hugh Robotham's face, and Hugh is going, why did we ask him to be a pastor 28 years ago? What in the world? Why is he even here? Well, you know what that, that made us want to do? I'll just use my son to kind of do this. You know what made us want to, you wanted to go grab somebody and say, get saved! You need to be saved! That lasted about a day and a half. And then all the cares of the world came back in and 
just took over again. Fear and panic are not what, what is to mobilize our evangelism. Faith in the coming of God, in His Word, knowing He is coming again. And there's a horrible judgment for those who reject Him and an amazing eternal joy and glory for those who receive Him. I mean, there's, it's, it's mercy and grace and love that are to compel us to go. Don't be discouraged by fearful times or deceived by false teachers. In verses 6 and 7, he makes it clear that there will be war and there will be inter international conflict and there will be famine and earthquakes. And though the Jews saw all those things as a sign of the end of the age, Jesus says, those are not the signs of the end of the age. But be assured that those things will happen and they will affect Christians. I just, it's, it's just, we've got this. I'll tell you what, the entitlement mentality of the world has seeped. I, I hate to say it. I think it's seeped into the church. I was talking to Stephen Stroop the other day, and we we're just talking about just Christian business transactions and all this kind of stuff. And how often, if somebody, if you're in need of a, of a service and you hear that the uh, service provider is a believer and you're a believer, how many times have you experienced that? That you just think, oh, because you're a believer, you're supposed to give it to me for free. Or at least give it to me for a deal where you don't make any money. I get a great deal, you don't make any money. You know, I just think sometimes that's the way we think about, about things like the end times. We're, we're God's kids. We're kids, kings, kids, kids of the king. We're kids of the king and... And no bad thing should happen to kids of the king. That's not what Matthew 24 says. They will happen. They will affect believers. In verse 9, he says believers are going to be hated, persecuted, and killed. Verse 10 says many believers are going to fall away. And they're going to betray others as they fall away. Lawlessness will be increased, verse 12 says, and love will be decreased. Lawlessness increased, love decreased. Or grow cold, to put it in the words of the, of the passage, between the first and second comings of Christ. Ellen has this phrase, and if, if you're going to describe, what does the love of people growing cold look like? And this is presumed believers. Ellen has this phrase, if you miss church, do you miss church? I love that phrase. If the answer is no, danger. Your love may be growing cold. All of this reminds us that God is in control and that Christ is coming. God planned this and he will give us what we need to glorify him in it. Just don't misread it as though that you can set a date that he's coming tomorrow. So I want to just make sure you're with me there. We're to anticipate he could come tomorrow, but don't set a date thinking you know that he's coming tomorrow, okay? If we're deceived by false teachers and discouraged by fearful times, we're going to be sure to be distracted from our mission. Um, God shows us that he's in control, and, and, and the, I guess the way really I think we can, we can apply this uh, in our context, is he takes what looks like the worst time in human history, which was the destruction of the temple, and shows us how in control of it he was. This wasn't a surprise. He said this would happen. 
So in 70 AD, the Roman army comes in. They desecrate the temple by putting images of Caesar as Lord. Remember, that's what their belief was. Uh, the, the Christian was called the, the unbeliever, the pagan. Christians were called pagan because they didn't believe that Caesar was Lord. And so they, they were putting Caesar as Lord banners and, and these elements that were just in the holy place and in the holy of holies before they just destroyed the whole thing. And Matthew calls it here the abomination of desecration. If you were with us through the Daniel study, I hope that went, Daniel. I hope that, that just brought to mind Daniel. Yeah, Daniel spoke of that repeatedly, didn't he? And he's talking about the destroying of, of the temple and all of Jerusalem. And then verse 15, Jesus points to a prophecy in Daniel, speaking of the de abomination of desolation. And he says, did you notice that little phrase, let the reader understand? What was he saying? Let the reader of Daniel understand that Daniel's prophecy is what I'm pointing to now. And it's going to take place within about a 40-year window. This generation won't pass away before it happens. And so there, so here we go. How many times have these verses been, oh my goodness, upside down, inside out? If you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. If you're on the rooftop of your house, do not go down into your house. It's, it's going to be that bad. This is going to be horrific. So don't go into your house to get possessions. Imagine your house on fire and it's a consuming inferno. If you're in the field, don't go back in to get your coat. Verse 19, how hard it will be for women who are nursing or pregnant in those days. Pray that you don't have to do this in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be a great tribulation such as not been seen from the beginning of the world. Oh, that's fertile soil for false teachers. That fear to, 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 to abuse those things is fertile soil. It's, this is it. This is the end of the world. The destruction of the temple must be the end of the world. No, it's not yet. And then he says, and I would put it, I would put these words first, for the sake of the gospel, flee for your lives and preserve yourselves. We're not going to run away just because we're afraid to die. No, we're going to run so we can continue to spread the gospel out into the world and bring the gospel to all peoples. Verses 32 through 35, says, then he says, learn the lesson of the fig tree. Most of the fig trees in Israel and Jerusalem were, were um, oh, what's the phrase? They don't lose their leaves. Ever, evergreen? Is that, is that it? Per, what is it? Perennial. Perennial? Perennial. Thank you, Srirak. Yeah, thank you. The fig tree wasn't. The fig tree, you could mark the seasons by the foliage, right? The growth of new leaves, the falling off of leaves. So he's talking about being able to see, hey, the fig tree, it's gaining its leaves. You should be able to tell that the end of the temple is about to come. Um, and then, he's, then essentially it's this. Even if the worst thing that you think is happening, it's all under the control of the Lord. What's the worst thing you faced in 2021? Did you know it was all under the control of the Lord? Why do we know that? Because there was another day. And it wasn't the destruction of the temple. Not the physical temple. It was the destruction of Jesus. 
That looked like the worst day in human history. Innocent man, miracle worker, powerful and profound teacher, lover of people's souls, is unjustly being executed. And he's done nothing wrong. Can't he save himself? He did all these miracles. He's not saving himself. All is lost. No. No. This is how all those who are going to be believers are saved. Jesus, if you're the Son of God, come down off that cross, remember? And Jesus essentially is saying, no, I'm going to prove that I'm the Savior because I stayed here. You guys, if God can take what looks to our eyes like the worst day in human history and he brought forth salvation and resurrection and new life, turning the worst day into Good Friday, right? Can't he do the same thing with some of the worst days you're going through right now? On the basis of what he did on really what looked like the worst day in all of history. He is graciously in control of your hurting, broken heart. He's graciously under control. This, this could be an interesting year with midterm elections, guys. Get ready to, for all the fireworks to start happening again. And who knows what's... Just, there's just, anyway, I'm not going to go into all that. But it could be loony toony. God's in control. God's in control. So we should anticipate, the third point is, we should anticipate that Christ could come tomorrow. And that's what you see in verses 36 through 44. It's clear there's a difference between the destruction of Jerusalem and the final coming of Christ, which will come really with, I think we could say, with unprecedented clarity and unexpectedness, right? So... Wait for Jesus. We want to wait for Jesus in a way that shows the world we were not, we're not surprised. We, we may be surprised that, oh, he's, he came today. That may be surprising, but we, we were living in a way not to be surprised. Because we're waiting for him. We want him to come. So the point of this is, as is in the days of Noah, that Noah's days were so wicked and all, you know, and that's why he, you know, that's when the judgment came. No, that's not what he was saying. The argument was, it was mundane, day after day. There was normality. People getting married, eating, drinking. They were doing what people do. It's just what we do. And I think there's a real warning for us in this. I think it's actually easier for us to be distracted away from anticipating Christ's return because we're so focused on our day-to-day -day lives. We're so focused on our desires. We're so focused on our fears more than we would, more than we would be distracted from His return because of persecution. I put this just a little ditty in your notes. Um, I think this, y'all, I think the seduction of the world is perhaps a worse distraction for us concerning the second coming of Christ than the persecution from the world. I, I just think, I just think that it's the lullaby. It's the lullaby of prosperity and a better day to come. And 
screw tape letters. It's interesting. C.S. Lewis had in his, in his writing of that little story, that illustration, he was having Satan tell his workers, here's what to do with the believer. Keep them focused on the past, I mean re your regrets or your past pains or your nostalgia. Like, oh man, those are good old days. I don't, I don't think there'll ever be days like that again, you know. Isn't, isn't that what, it's so easy for us to get paralyzed in the past or get them focused on a better tomorrow where they're going to get all the desires met of their flesh and they'll be satisfied in the things of the world or make them scared to death of tomorrow. Now, just don't, just keep them distracted so they won't be faithful today. Well, don't be surprised that Jesus comes when you least expect him anticipate that he could come tomorrow. And I asked Jan, I said, what's a better word, anticipation or expectation of his coming? If you want to talk about desiring it. So we sang, and I, it was pretty cool that the passion of our singing increased on joy to the world. Um, I, I don't know if you kind of noticed that, the, the, about the Lord reigning. Oh, the Lord reigning. We should desire his coming. One of the reasons why is Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away. Not an angel. Not Moses. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And let's just say it together. Amen. Come quickly, Lord. That we should anticipate and desire his coming tomorrow. And then he goes further and he says, listen, it's going to happen fast. You're not going to have time to make any decisions when it happens. Two men working the field, one taken, the other one left. Two ladies grinding grain, one taken, the other left. There won't be time to make a decision. He's been giving us all these years of time. Not even the Son of Man knows the day or the hour. Therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know what day your Lord will come. But keep watch with this desire for them to get there. I told you how I sit in the front room waiting for the kids to come home. I just want, I just want them to see me sitting in that chair anticipating them. I love them so much. It's one of the greatest joys to be with my kids. It's one of the greatest joys. I get a sense about what my dad felt when we would go see him. Oh, that's how I want to wait for Jesus, you guys. As wonderful as you guys are, you're not Jesus. Oh, I want to wait for him like that. I want to wait for him like that. Loving anticipation can't wait till you get here. So how do we wait? What does waiting look like? That's the close of the sermon. 
So devote yourself to reach the nations for Christ today. We're anticipating He could come. We want Him to come tomorrow. How do we wait? Well, we wait by devoting ourselves to reach the nations. We we seek to be stewards. We're the slaves here. And And that's the most beautiful sense of the word. He's the master. We owe Him our allegiance. All we have is His possession. And we're to be good stewards of His possession. And we're going to be called to give an account of how we used what He's given us. The greatest thing I think we're to be a steward over is the gospel. It's yet money and all of those things and health. There's all of those things. But the gospel is the one gift that can save souls. And shouldn't we be most faithful and have, be the best stewards over the gospel? Using our gifts and talents for human flourishing, but as a platform for spreading the gospel. So as the love of the world is growing cold, I think there's a transition in verses 12, 13, and 14. When he talks about, really, the love of the believer should be getting hotter. The love of the world's getting colder. The heart of the believer for Christ and people should be getting warmer. It's a great encouragement for us that God is going to give us persevering grace and faith to bring the gospel to all people groups as a testimony to all nations, and then shall the end come. So that's just the joy of the Lord. We're going to persevere, not just because we're hanging in there. We're going to persevere because we're pursuing people. That's why we persevere. Because we're going to go into our neighborhoods. We're going to talk to our co-workers. We're going to talk to Uncle Harry who just has rejected the gospel time and time again. But I'm, I, listen, I'm going to out-love his rejection. I'm going to out-love him pushing me away. I'm going to keep giving him the only hope he has for his soul. The actual time, this is in your notes, of Christ's return Listen, guys, is not the motivation for evangelism. We talked about that a little earlier. You've been left behind. Um, The motive for evangelism is that by His mercy and for His glory, He hasn't come yet. That's why we we should have woken up today. We have another day. We have another day. Praise God by His mercy and for His glory. We have another day to share the gospel with people. His patience and kindness are being exercised to mobilize us to make disciples of all peoples. These signs of the times will be happening throughout the entire length of redemptive history between Christ's first coming and His second coming. The birth pangs began from the very beginning when Christ rose from the dead. There was a huge birth pang with the destruction of the temple. And we think of how the text says that God will give persevering grace to the believer to endure to the end. We need to think that God wants to give persevering and empowering grace for us to be making disciples for the entire span between His first and second advent. That's our mission. Not just a mad rush at some particular time. But that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a growing intensity of our mission in evangelism, shouldn't there? If we're growing in the heart of Christ and the character of Christ, shouldn't that be associated with growing in the mission of Christ? 
So may 2022, you guys, be an intensification of our passion for soul winning, disciple making, the maturation of the believer, the equipping of the believer, the transfer of the gospel to the next generation. So Joshua, you want to come and close us? Just as we prepare for the celebration of his first coming, I think this is how we prepare for his second coming. Stewards of the gospel, not being deceived by false teachers, not being obsessed with signs, not being discouraged with fearful times and and hardships and persecutions, not allowing ourselves to be distracted by the seductive lullaby of the world, but that we we want the gospel to reach all nations and then the end to come. So would you stand?